Parent Show, sponsored by Raiden Solicitors, award-winning specialist family lawyers. See RaidenSolicitors.co.uk. Hello and welcome to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia L. Khoury. And good evening, everybody. I am Seema Barker and very happy to be with you this evening. So on tonight's show, we're uh, zoning in particularly on domestic violence and abuse. And we have the best possible guest joining us to speak about the issue. We've got Helen Lafferty, who's a solicitor with Raiden Solicitors, which is a family law firm here in St. Albans. And we're very proud to say a sponsor of the Parents Show. So, Helen, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure, our pleasure. So let's just kick off by asking, I mean, particularly lockdown, COVID, domestic violence is extremely topical. We're seeing it in the news all the time. and we're concerned by what we're hearing that the situation has actually deteriorated in the last 12 months but we'd love to know what your experience has been. Yes so the statistics do show that there has been an increase in reported cases very sadly um, of domestic abuse and people accessing services for victims of domestic abuse um, so helplines. So our experience has been definitely that there has been a catalyst from COVID-19 that has led to lots of people needing uh, support lines uh, and injunctions. Yeah. And and Helen, so does that also, I suppose one of the things that occurred to me is when we're talking about domestic abuse, um, perhaps the stereotype is a, 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 a woman living with a violent man. Um, are we also seeing, have you also seen an increase in more financial, economic abuse as well? Because I think we have to remember that that domestic abuse actually is just is much wider than just violence. Yes, absolutely. So um, lots of people don't realise, and that's one of the, the real difficulties that we have, that domestic abuse is not just about violence. It's um, psychological abuse, emotional abuse, financial abuse. Um, and more recently, people have started talking about coercive and controlling behaviour. So all of these things have definitely uh, increased during COVID, uh, increased because of lockdowns, people being inside the home more often. Um, and there's just no escape from it, it seems. So um, one of the things that we've noticed as well is that financial abuse is more prevalent because people are losing their jobs and because there's furlough, meaning that people are receiving less income than they were. So it's definitely changed the dynamic of domestic abuse, yes. So have you been involved in more cases of a particular type over the last 12 months? Has there been more injunctions? How is it, is it different for you as a family lawyer compared to what it was like pre, pre-COVID? I wouldn't say that it's been different cases ha- have become more prevalent. I think there's always been, um, unfortunately, a really big problem with domestic abuse. But the fact that there has been no escape from it for children, they haven't been able to go to school, so they've been exposed to it more often. Um, that means that there has just been there's been a lot of domestic abuse on a daily basis rather than it being spread out or um before COVID, we had uh, an increase usually around Christmas time because people were at home more or in summer holidays. Um, and now that's just continuing on a daily basis. So uh, it's more that there hasn't been an escape for these victims and for the children. 
I hadn't actually thought about that, Helen. So it, we, of course, it makes sense. There's just been an awful lot of more exposure and I hadn't thought that children kind of have no get out route. I suppose with them being back at school now, hopefully that'll, that'll um, ease the situation to a certain extent. But Helen, can you tell our listeners, um, those who mightn't know what a family lawyer can do to support somebody who is in a domestic abuse situation, would you mind telling them what tools are at your disposal and and what can be what can victims of abuse use as a tool for who are find themselves in that situation? Cool. So one of the main things that we do for victims of domestic abuse is seek injunctions. So there's something that's called a non-molestation order. And what that does is provide an order that the perpetrator is not allowed to harass, pester, intimidate or molest the victim. They're not allowed to use or threaten any violence towards the victim. Uh, You can even include that they're not allowed to come within 100 metres or a specified distance of the victim's home. Um, And they're not allowed to encourage or instruct anyone else to do those things as well. And those orders can protect children as well. So if the children are subject to the abuse or they've witnessed the abuse, um, it can protect those. And also there's an occupation order, which is an order that uh, prevents the perpetrator from entering or remaining in the family home. So if if you need uh, an order that protects you in, in the home, then that's something that a family lawyer can help you to obtain. And does that extend to telephones? That's because I just am about texting, calling, because I'd say even social media, is that a route that's used to abuse as well? Yes, absolutely. So another thing that we can ask for in a non-molestation order is that the perpetrator can't contact the uh, victim at all. Uh, through social media, texting, calling or any other means or instructing or encouraging anyone else to do so. So even if they were stopped from messaging, they can't then ask a friend or somebody else to to message the victim on their behalf. Um, and, and we can work around that in terms of if there's children that need to have contact with the, the perpetrator, then, you know, it can be contact only in respect of the children. Um, so, yes, definitely we can we can seek injunctions to stop contact between the victim and the perpetrator yes can I ask how that would work for example if the children needed to be in contact with one of the parents would would it be through an intermediary or how how would it work it completely depends on um, what works best for the parents and what works best for the children so if there is a high level of conflict and the parents really cannot speak to one another and shouldn't speak to one another because it's not in the child's interest um, then there can be an injunction that says no contact other than through a person that's been nominated for example a grandparent or a friend Um, or if there can be a level of dialogue between the parents that can also be the wording of the order um, or somewhere in between so they we can instruct them just to use certain methods of communication like email for example if if we don't want telephone calls happening so yeah there's there's ways around that for individuals to suit their needs and the children's needs in particular and following up on that can the order go so far as to specify I suppose I'm thinking of different age children so there might be an older teenager maybe that that feels safe seeing uh, one of the parents but perhaps less so for younger ones yeah so 
the other thing um, that family solicitors can get is a uh, Children Act proceeding. They can start Children Act proceedings, so you can get an order specifically in relation to the children about what time they spend with each parent. So um, if there were... Uh, specific needs for different age groups for, for different children then that could be put into a, a specific order saying they will see this child on this day or they will speak to this child via uh, Skype on this day um, and and it can be it, the, the whole point of that order is that it's in the child's best interest um, so it's not about what either parent necessarily want or need or demand it's about what is right for that child um, and absolutely, they can be different things for different parents, uh, for different children, um, depending on their relationship with the child and their age. Yeah, that's 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 really helpful, actually, to know that for for parents that might be listening, so that the um, tools available are um, in for, for protection for their themselves, but also for for the children. And and obviously, as a family family solicitor, you will tease out of somebody that comes to see you what might be necessary, because of course, somebody might come to see you feeling very vulnerable, very overwhelmed, and not really know. Um, what it is they want, I suppose, um, is a lot of scepticism as well, isn't there, I think, um, about this whole area. And and I was reading recently that, um, you know, about 40% of cases involving children in family courts include allegations of domestic abuse, which is very high. But then the figure was about 22,000 cases for, for the years 2019 and 2020, which is a phenomenal amount. Um what do you think, you know, do you think that's that's true, all of the scepticism about not really being able to help people that are suffering from domestic abuse? Yeah, we see that a lot. And I think one of the biggest issues with that is that the perpetrator has told the victim that they won't be believed. And the problem is that people come to us and say, this is what's happened to me. And they often don't even realise that that is domestic abuse. Uh, particularly financial and psychological and emotional abuse that we spoke about before, people simply think that that is normal because that's what they're used to and they've been told that no one will listen to them. Um, and, and absolutely, there is scepticism around it. People have heard horror stories about people not being protected. Um, but I do think that the, one of the reasons that the statistics are so shockingly high is because people recognise it more now. They recognise these different types of abuse and the courts are trying to, and, and solicitors are trying to help victims to get out of that really awful situation that they're in um, and to get help. So yes, the statistics are are really, really shocking and really sad and um you know, it happens everywhere. It happens uh, to our neighbours and to our friends and we don't realise it. But I hope that actually those statistics are proving that we are doing better at recognising it, at helping people and to put the right injunctions in place to to stop those kinds of situations from happening more. Um, I Helen, I think, I think that's incredibly helpful for parents to hear that. And so it is not reflected in the actual practical solution so injunctions do work it's just the abuser quite often convinces the victim that they don't and and that's a route to convincing them not to report is that correct absolutely yes that happens a lot and not not just to not report it or to the injunctions don't work just that people won't believe them often people don't even reach out to their closest relatives and friends to say this is what's happening to me because they're told 
no one will believe you or this is your fault or you know a number of other ways to stop someone from speaking out when they need that help. I'd love to get some practical examples of the types of abuse you've mentioned if you don't mind like when you're talking about financial abuse what what could that look like? So a number of um, examples I've seen um, when somebody has their salary paid into somebody else's bank account or into a joint account that they don't have access to um, or when someone's told how they can spend their money or when someone doesn't work um, and they're given almost an allowance that just simply isn't enough to live on um, or enough to to pay for the children's school or enough to pay for the children's food and clothes um, financial abuse comes in a lot of different varieties and um, a lot of it is down to control who is controlling the family finances and who is controlling how each person spends their money in particular you know your own money I've seen so many cases where um, people are expected to pay their money into a joint bank account that they don't have access to or someone else's bank account which is shocking to people who aren't in that situation but it does happen quite a lot. I think um, people might be surprised to hear that um, around this area um, you know it's an affluent area it's a well-to-do area um, and th- that will probably be a surprise I think but I mean you're telling us that you know because you, you said earlier you know it's happening all around us it's happening to our neighbors and and everything um you know there's no necessarily kind of less need in in the local area than there is anywhere no absolutely not it happens um from the most uh wealthy families to the poorest families and and all kinds of backgrounds it happens to men and women it's it really isn't something that just impacts one group of people it is really something that can happen to absolutely anyone and Helen, could you give us an example of, of psychological abuse, just the most common examples you see? Yeah, we see a lot of gaslighting. That's uh, definitely a phrase that people have heard more of recently. It's coming in, up in the news a lot, um, which is where somebody changes the dynamic of the conversation. So they basically tell you that what you're saying is not the truth. Um, you know, something will happen in the house or they'll move something and they'll say, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. Um, and you know that, you know, for example, your phone has gone missing and you don't, you didn't move it, but they convince you that your narrative of the truth is not true. Um, so that's a form of psychological abuse. Um, and there's lots of different varieties. One of them is shutting you off from your friends and, and family um, and telling you that, they are your only support network. Um, yeah, it's there's lots of different varieties, yeah. types of that, psychological. That's really helpful and kind of puts it into context. And I think also helps people to understand where the limits are, where the boundaries are, and when actually it's time to do something about it. And it's really interesting, as you were speaking, I, um, and before you said it, I was thinking, oh, this sounds like just a control issue and then as you were describing I was thinking this sounds just like gaslighting so it like they are seem to be common common denominators when you're talking about abuse yeah and I think it definitely helps that the conversation around this has opened up recently it helps that people have even heard of the phrase gaslighting um because before people just did not recognize psychological abuse um in in the way that they do now 
And and actually, there are so many, um, you know, you're making so many points that really do clarify the situation. And I think it hadn't occurred to me that, of course, with lockdown, the support network for people who are, you know, uh, victims will also have been cut off. So, so just if if perhaps the partner is going to work, they're all, they're now in the house. They can't therefore access their friends. Obviously, they can't go into other people's houses to as a safe haven. And 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 actually, there's there's so many ways where it's been more much 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 more difficult than I think I had realised um, during the lockdown. For for you, um, Helen, what are the greatest challenges as as a family lawyer in this area? I think we've already discussed that one of the issues is that people don't necessarily recognise violent uh, domestic abuse unless it's violent, physically violent. Um, so I think that is a real uh, issue that we're trying to we're trying to open this conversation that psychological abuse, financial abuse, they're all types of domestic abuse, and there are injunctions and help available for people. Um, and another thing is that I think that a lot of people really find it difficult to take that first step. If you've been told for so long that what you say is not the truth, or you've been told for so long that nobody's going to believe you, of course, that first step is so, so difficult. Um, and and getting someone to the point where they are ready to do something about the abuse that they're suffering is not easy. Um, and and I have, I've had clients before where it's taken years to get to the point where they're ready to take that step they'll go through the entire divorce process or um children act proceedings and they won't talk about the abuse that they've suffered um and that that's really difficult to, for people to get to that stage where they're ready um I think as well, also recognising that it happens to anyone. I think a lot of people don't want to be a victim. They don't believe they fall into that category. Men are, are well known to not want to speak up about domestic abuse, but also people who are intelligent, people who are um, generally surrounded by people that should be, have noticed will say that they don't want to be considered a victim by those people. Um, so I think... That's one of the the huge obstacles that we face uh, as family solicitors. I, I can imagine exactly what you're saying, Helen. That that you have strong, resilient people who are the victims of abuse, and they can't probably just can't reconcile that um, yeah. that that reality. So I think it's so helpful what you've said to kind of really shine a light on on the other kind of more subtle forms, which are nonetheless still abuse. Um, for for anybody listening in and for us to kind of keep an eye out for friends a little with a little bit more a little bit more of a keener eye bearing yeah, and, bearing these techniques in mind and neighbors as well i think that's something that actually has increased um although um people's support networks in terms of family has decreased people have noticed their neighbors um being in abusive situations more often because there's only a wall between you all day long um, so if there is something happening and you you notice it, um, opening that le- that communication channel with someone that perhaps you don't talk to very often could be a real lifeline for them. Oh well, that's just made me think of of one uh, um, a benefit of lockdown, and let's be honest, there's not many. But of course, we have become closer to our neighbours and our local communities because we've formed, um, you know, so many local WhatsApp groups and communities where people have become aware. And I certainly I can speak from my own experience of people that they've perhaps lived 
you know, near for 15 years and not necessarily known their name. And, and, and then when we know each other more, we can put a name to a face. I suppose we're more likely to be able to reach out to those people if we need help um, and recognize perhaps that they're not always seeming to be the way they should be. Yes, definitely. For those people, for those victims of uh, domestic abuse, um, what do you recommend if they are experiencing it and they haven't yet reached out to anybody? What do you think are those first steps that they need to take, Helen? Uh, the first step, if there is physical violence or you are under pressure, um, sorry, you're, you're in, in immediate danger, then you should always call the police. Um, they, although um, we can help with injunctions, they are the first port of call if you are in danger of um someone being physically violent towards you um i think as well it's really important to get a good support network around you um i know it's really difficult in lockdown but if you can if you can have that first conversation with someone um and just say this is what's happening to me this is how i'm feeling to have someone there to talk to is so important and someone to help you and encourage you to take the first step to speak to getting the help that you need um that's key and also speak to an expert speak to a solicitor speak to somebody from a helpline that deals with this kind of situation all the time who can explain to you this is these are the steps that need to be taken um so it's not so um scary when it is the complete unknown i think if you are aware of what steps need to be taken that's helpful um and i think as well um just knowing that it's not your fault, just knowing that it's not about you, it's about the perpetrator. It's a form of control that they are doing this to you. Um, and I think people don't like the word victim. So a lot of people try to change the narrative around being a survivor. And I think that that can really help people if they realize that it's not them, they're going to survive this and they just need that support network around them. Really, really wise words, Helen. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm sure it'll be a massive help to to our listeners as well, both male and female. Um, really, really enlightening. Thanks so much for joining us on the Parents Show this evening. Thanks for having me.